Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I'd like to talk about forgiveness tonight. I know that Sharda led a forgiveness practice this afternoon, so it might have stirred up some thoughts or uh, wonderings on the subject. When you do this uh, metta practice, you have lots of opportunity to, to practice forgiveness. As you're there doing the phrases, may I be filled with loving kindness. Yeah, right, not in this lifetime. You know. You're so unloving. You know, how could you even think? The judging mind comes in so easily. Or, gosh, it's just so mechanical. Who do I think I'm kidding? Ever have that feeling? And there's also lots of things, as Guy mentioned in the talk the other night, that come up that um, because it's a purification process, there's often floods of memory of unfinished business, either that you've acts that you regret or things done to you or how hard it is to feel loving towards certain people. Um, forgiveness is a really important aspect of this meta practice. <clears throat> and classically, or traditionally, there is uh, some forgiveness done at the beginning of uh, metta sitting, just as a way to somewhat resolve, or at least for a little while, uh, untangle our um, knots that are in our hearts so that the metta can flow. Because when the heart is closed, when we're locked in with anger or resentment, um, we might have all kinds of reasons justifiably why we'd feel that way, but it's a huge price to pay because in that contraction, our love can't shine through. There's a, uh, this is some words from the Tibetan master. I'm going to share some, um, some pieces during the talk from a wonderful book I love on compassion called Field Notes on the Compassionate Life by Mark Ian Barish. Um, and uh, this, is, this is one piece where he's quoting a, a Tibetan master Lama Garchen Rinpoche, who had been jailed and tortured by the Chinese for 20 years, yet somehow improbably only strengthened his power of forgiveness. And he said, ordinarily, if your enemy harms you, you will feel anger. This makes your heart or mind like water frozen into ice by the cold. In order to melt it, we need sunlight, which is the cultivation of compassion, which is supported by forgiveness. So the forgiveness practice begins to thaw the heart a little bit from those contracted places. 
as I said, and Gaia said about the purification aspect, it's, it's quite interesting how, and uh, Heather mentioned it last night, and I love that image about the water getting dirtier as the, the laundry's getting cleaner, how these things are, are there underneath needing to be addressed un, that are unresolved. How many people, I'm curious, have found they've gotten in touch with memories of, of things in their past that seem to be part of the purification? I'm curious. Look around. Look at that. So knowing that, if that comes, you're not doing anything wrong. You're just right on schedule. It's just, it's, it's working. Things that we might not have thought of for years, but there they are needing our kind attention. First time I did a metta retreat, there I was, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, etc. And I started remembering all of these really awful things that I'd done in my life. I couldn't believe it. And I started saying, ooh, oh no, that too, and that too. And it was like, it was hard. At some point, I decided to make a list of the top 20 really awful things that I'd done. <laughs> I was so fortunate that I picked that number because I could only come up with 17 on that level, you know. Oh, okay, maybe there is a, an end to, you know, the bottomless pit. And it was really humbling, and each time I would cringe, oh, God. And every time the thought or the memory would come up, there it was, the cringing again. Cringing actually is a good thing, if you think about it, because it means that you've grown some since that action. If there was no cringing, it's like, yeah, that's what people do, you know. But it was like, oh, no, how could I have done that? And I started to see that there's, there's some development somewhere. There's been some healing it's been said, perhaps you've heard this line, forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. <laughs> it's, it's a very profound line. Giving up all hope of a better past. Because there's a place in us that just wants to go back and fix it or change it. Or, and every time that button gets pressed, there we are again. And there's a, a, a kind of resolution and, a, and somewhat of a workability when we realize we can't change the past. How can we deal with it skillfully right now? Things are the way they are, but we have a choice in how we relate to what's happened so we can keep on moving on and, and waking up and letting our love shine through. So I'll talk about a few different levels of, or a few different areas of forgiveness um, this evening. First is forgiveness towards ourself. If you have any kind of um, aspiration of doing things right, doing it well, being a good meditator, being a 
maybe I'll be, maybe metta is my thing, you know. And then you fall short, there right away is an opportunity to practice forgiveness. And if you have particularly a perfectionist streak in you, um, all the more compassion for, for the situation. I've seen this in myself. I have had a strong perfectionist streak in me. I don't, as my son said in my, uh, in my 50th birthday, he said, well, my father likes to do things perfectly. He doesn't do all that many things, but what he likes to do, he likes to do perfectly. <laughs> he kind of nailed me on that. But uh, I had seen it in myself and, and have to um, have worked many years with this. And one day, a number of years ago, it, it dawned on me that as a perfectionist, the best you can do is break even. You do it perfectly, okay, that's the way it's supposed to be. And anything less, and you've blown it. That's merciless. There's no winning in that. There's not even the feeling, a good feeling of a job well done, which the Buddha says is a very wholesome thing to reflect on, your wholesome deeds, letting it be a source of inspiration for you. We can be hard on ourselves, who we are, what our bodies or minds are. As you're you're sitting, your body, particularly on a Vipassana retreat, but uh, where you're, it's generally, you kind of feel more of an encouragement to sit still and to to be with with things as they are. um, But even on metta, I'm sure that we can be very frustrated by our bodies as we're sitting here. Oh, my shoulder just hurts me. Come on. If this wasn't in the way, I could really do this practice. Right? You know, if I had a better shoulder, I'd be a Buddha by now. Right? Uh, how do you relate to your body? And it's not just on the, on the retreat here in a, in a formal sitting. How do we relate to our bodies that have done the best they can to serve us? Whether it's your, your back or your shoulder or a particular organ or whatever it is, or your, uh, your appearance, this is the body you've been given, and it's an amazing gift. If there's some, some places that need healing, Healing does not come from scolding your body. Healing comes, if you know anything a little bit about healing, you know healing comes from a loving energy. So when your shoulder hurts or whatever it is that is not cooperating with you, just notice how you relate to it. Do you get angry at it? What it really needs is some loving kindness. There it is, having served you the best it could for your life. And that loving kindness is the healing energy. Then there's forgiveness towards our minds. When your mind doesn't behave, how do you relate to it? It's just the way it is. If you think you should control your mind, 
I have deep compassion for you. <laughs> There's no way you can control your mind. Now you might say, wait a second, you know, I beg to differ. Or, gosh, what a depressing thought. If you can control your mind, see if you can come in here and say, I'm going to be with the phrases all the time and just be filled with loving kindness. See if that works. You might incline your mind, you might have the intention, but what comes through at any moment is completely out of your control. And when I, again, when I discovered this, it was a tremendous relief to see I've got no control over how loving I am, or how concentrated, or how mindful, or how calm. Other things seem to slip through from time to time. But what I do have some input in is the sincere intention to give my best effort. And that seems to be the secret ingredient that's needed. My willingness to be here as best I can and my willingness to stay with the practice in a balanced way, not with some report card as I've mentioned here before, but simply to know that your effort is coming from a sincerity of heart without evaluating what the content is that comes through or what your practice looks like. This, with both the body and the mind, means that you're not taking ownership of your experience. Your body is following its own laws out of your control. Your mind follows its own laws based on conditioning or events in the moment. And you don't have to take blame for what's going on or credit either. That's the other side. Hey, I'm doing it pretty well now. Check it out. It's the Metta King here. You know? <laughs> That is just a setup for the other side when it's not going quite the way you'd like it. The Buddha talks about this laboratory. He says, in this fathom-long body, the whole of the Dharma is revealed. This is the mind and body that you've been given to understand the human predicament and the human condition. And the more you understand this one without taking it personally, the more you can understand and have compassion and connection with all the others. Particularly around our mind, forgiveness comes from understanding the conditioning that has gone into making us incline to the thoughts or the feelings that we do. And I, I'll share a story that some of you have heard because I share it on many retreats, but it was the key lesson for me around forgiveness. So if you've heard it before, just take it as beginner's mind or forgive me for hearing it one more time. This is in one of my early retreats, doing a, a three-month uh, retreat at, at IMS. This is in uh, 1979. And I was doing the walking. It was a Vipassana retreat, and I was doing slow walking and I was all by myself in, in the walking room. So I just decided to play a game to see how slowly I could go, just for the fun of it. 
And there I was just kind of crawling. I pretended I was like Marcel Marceau, you know, just, ooh, you know. And in the middle of this, somebody comes into the walking room who had just come on to the retreat. Because in those early years, maybe it was 76, because it was in one of those first years, they tacked on a two-week retreat at the end of the three-month course. It was probably 76, actually. (laughs) And you could really feel the difference when somebody comes after two and a half months. You know, it's, and so there was this group of people who were just operating in a different gear than, than the rest of us. And there, I, I knew this was going to look very bizarre, but I, was just, I wasn't going to stop my game and just crawling and crawling. And after about two minutes, this person bolted out of the, the walking room in what I was sure was the comparing mind. And the thought came to me, wow, I really blew her mind. She must think I'm a great yogi. (laughs) And as I heard that thought, in all its glory, (laughs) there it was, ego and presentation, and it was like I fell into this trap dungeon of yuck. And from the slow walking, I I became like a, a, a caged tiger. I was just walking pacing back and forth, thinking, God, so much ego. Oh, I'll never get out of this. I did that for about 10 minutes, right? And then at one point, I just stopped, and it occurred to me the millions of times I'd had that kind of a thought. But I had not caught it because I wasn't as clear as I was now, it just was like part of me. Hey, looking good. Check it out. You see that? Am I good enough? But I was clear enough that I could see it. And when I saw it and reflected on the millions of times I had that in this lifetime, and by then I was thinking about many lifetimes, it just boggled my mind, <laughs> the countless lifetimes I'd been practicing that, this wave of compassion came over me. Like, did I expect that I would undo all of that conditioning in a couple of months? And um, it was a beautiful moment because I really felt it. I really felt, you're doing the best you can. It's okay. That was much more important than how slowly I could walk. And it was a profound turning. I really felt kindness and forgiveness for myself. So I know how important that is. And so the key is understanding, if your mind isn't cooperating with you, understanding the the depth of conditioning, of practicing another way. Now that doesn't mean, oh, well, then what's the point? Because if your alternative, if there's the alternative is to just keep on practicing more greed, hatred, and delusion. But little by little, as you bring forgiveness to that conditioning, you are deepening your compassion, not only for yourself, but for all beings. Because as you see it more in yourself, you start to understand how others get caught in their minds as well. And there is a huge, profound shift that can happen. Not that those thoughts never arise, but you start to see them for what they are, just thoughts, just habits, 
And there is a dramatic difference between then and now. You know, if somebody told me when I was starting this practice, it was actually possible to like yourself, let alone love yourself, you know, it would have been a stretch. But I can tell you, it is definitely possible. In fact, it's the most important thing that we can do. So the judging mind will come up. How do you deal with it? Do you judge it? Which is a common continuation of that habit. Darn it, I'm not being loving. Oh, shoot, there's a judgment. (laughs) Oh, no, I just did it again. And you can add layer on top of layer of judgment. There's no end to that. Until you learn to open up to the judging mind with great kindness. Again, something I've, I've done before on retreats but there's a number of people I have not met before, so I'll just share this again, offering it in your practice if you've got a judging mind. Just if you've had any judgments in the last couple of days, and you know, <laughs> one or two, okay, then uh, just try this out. The judging mind, by the way, is there until you're a fully enlightened being, so you might take some comfort. Even at the third stage of enlightenment, there's judging in the mind. So if you do have judgments, just figure you're no higher than the third stage of enlightenment anyway, and cut yourself some slack. So suppose here's a, there you are, you see yourself beating yourself up. Just try this, okay? And if you feel like it, you can do this with me. You can close your eyes, And just touch your cheek, put your hand on your cheek. Now you've just seen a real nasty judging thought, but let the Kuan Yin in you recognize. And as you touch or caress your cheek in the softest softest voice, silently to yourself, just name it, oh, judging, judging. Like, it's okay. And just let yourself feel at once how to be that tender. Okay. If you could feel that, even just a glimpse, uh, that was my main practice for about two years, actually. I didn't do this each time, but but I would from time to time just to remind myself, but you can feel it. Could you feel it viscerally in your body, being that tender? If you can feel it, it's, it comes right with, this isn't the formal metta practice, but if you're in the middle of a judging storm and you switch to Vipassana, just saying it in the kindest voice, it's like you're calling Kuan Yin up to hold that habit of judging. And I say, that was my main practice for two years. There's a line I love, um, it's an anonymous, uh, I, I, I should Google it and find out who did it, but uh, the, the line I love, believing in your littleness is arrogant because it's preferring your own opinion to God's. We can be so merciless on ourselves and 
we are this perfect expression of life, of God, or the Dharma, whatever you call it. And part of the, the metta practice, as we've been doing, is reflecting on our wholesome qualities as a way to get in touch with being worthy of loving kindness. Sometimes it's so hard to see our noble qualities from the inside. But it's just as uh, Albert Einstein talks about it, an optical delusion of consciousness that makes it feel so different inside. I ask you, if you met somebody who got your jokes, had a similar taste to you, understood your take on life, who really got it the way you see it, similar taste, how would you feel about meeting that person? I'd be ecstatic, wouldn't you? Where have you been all my life? There's one person who that is true of. The unfortunate thing is they're right inside our own bodies, and so we can't appreciate who we are. But if you met yourself from the outside, you would be tickled pink, probably. <laughs> but it's so hard from the inside. So I, I at one meta retreat, I had a, a real sense of the possibility of getting myself from another perspective. And I'll, I'll share this with, with you. Again, some people have, have heard this before. I find it really has changed around my metta practice. Um, so I invite you, you just close your eyes and bring um, a dear friend, perhaps the person who you've been working with uh, today, into your consciousness. Just imagine that they're right here with you. And feel the energy that you share when you're together. You know, when, when two people come together and they create something greater than the sum of, the, the sum of what they each possess. And that energy that you share and create, just feel that loving, warm, easy energy. And now, just imagine inhabiting their reality and seeing through their eyes who they see when they're with their dear friend. Just imagine, just get a sense why they enjoy hanging out with their friend so much. What is it that touches them about you? Take a moment to check it out. Your kindness or your sincerity or your playfulness or whatever it is, all the qualities, just take it in for a moment. Just get who you are. Because it shines through whether or not you realize it. And then let your consciousness come back right inside and from the inside feel, 
stay connected to those qualities. From the inside, feel how deserving you are and how you can let those qualities shine through when you recognize them, when you allow them, when they're not blocked by other kinds of thoughts. Stay connected and let yourself celebrate it for a moment. You can open your eyes if you'd like. This is a favorite poem of mine by Rashani, who actually, if you go to the kitchen, uh, to the dining room, and you see the gratitude board on the wall, she actually, she did the calligraphy for that. She lives in Hawaii. <clears throat> there is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken, a shatteredness out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief which leads to joy and a fragility out of whose depths emerges strength. There is a hollow space too vast for words through which we pass with each loss out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There is a cry deeper than all sound whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside which is unbreakable and whole while learning to sing. So I, before I go on, this is the main portion of the, the talk, but before I go on, I'd just like to ask you to reflect inside, what needs forgiveness? My impatience, my fear, my loneliness, my judgment, or my anger, what needs forgiveness for you? to let your metta really shine through. And ask, what would I need to understand to be able to forgive myself? Just imagine if you were the Buddha or Kuan Yin, how forgiving and kind and appreciative, compassionate, they'd be. What would you need to understand to be able to forgive yourself? And with that understanding, let that be a, a source of your opening of the heart. Okay. So forgiving ourselves is, the, bar, is the, the basis, is the start. Once we can, as we do that more and more, we can truly start to have forgiveness with and for others. One aspect is to 
Uh, it involves asking forgiveness, as Sharda did this, this afternoon. Asking forgiveness from another. We can really get caught up in guilt. I'm somewhat of a, an authority on guilt. It's part of my lineage. And the Buddha talked about, rather than guilt, wise remorse. He said, when you see something that you've done that's not been so skillful, instead of beating yourself up, he doesn't say, lay it on thick. All that guilt does, and I've known, seen guilt, I'm a lot different now than I used to be, but those thoughts, those memories can, can still come up. But... Guilt is just a self-perpetuating cycle. You feel really rotten, and then you will either continue to punish yourself, deservedly so, by reflecting on how rotten you've been, either playing that tape over and over, or thinking of other ways that you've been a jerk, or you'll go ahead and do something else that's that's unskillful to confirm that. And I know this, this cycle. There's no way out of that other than to commit to learning a new way. That every time you've done something that's been unskillful, as you cringe or say, oh gosh, and just see, oh, when I do this, this is how it feels for yourself or towards somebody else. Oh, it doesn't feel good inside. And so... He said, use wise remorse or wise reflection in seeing how can I do this in a different way? And one element in that is to uh, admit when you've done something wrong, to ask forgiveness if it's available, if it's possible, and to, sometimes it's not possible, but mostly people want to forgive because if there's, a heart contraction within themselves, that's painful for them as well. And you know when somebody has, has done something that's been not so skillful and they, and they, if it's ever happened to you, come to you and say, I'm really sorry, I really blew it. And it's quite sincere. How does, how does your heart, what does your heart do? Generally, there's a melting because finally you can relieve that pain of contraction. So I think pretty much it's almost never too late. And if it is, or if somebody's passed away, you can forgive yourself inside. But to ask forgiveness within your heart or within your mind can be very, very healing. And just seeing how you can dedicate that situation towards a greater awakening. If everybody else benefits so you don't repeat that one in a similar situation, what a gift that has been. So I'll just ask you again to go inside and ask perhaps, from whom do I want or need forgiveness? I might not have acted as skillfully as possible as I could have. Just connect with your fear or your confusion that would have made you act a certain way. 
And then if you can think of somebody, just reflect, what would they need to understand in order to forgive you? What would they need to understand about your state of mind or your own confusion? Now just imagine for a moment that they're here. And from the most authentic, vulnerable, non-defensive place, just explaining your confusion or fear or the conditioning that was underneath your words or your actions. Just imagine explaining that or and asking forgiveness without any expectation. but just opening up yourself and saying in whatever words work for you, I'm really sorry. You might imagine them really hearing where you're coming from. See how that feels to be that vulnerable and that open-hearted. Okay, if you like, you can open your eyes. The value in doing that, in really seeing how we've made mistakes without beating ourselves up, is then there's more of a possibility of forgiving others. Because when people do things that are not so skillful, as bizarre as it might seem to us, it makes sense to them. If they would, they would have done it any better so that there was not suffering, they probably would have. But we all get lost, we all get confused, we all have our own conditioning, and learning to forgive others is really very profound. That image that I think a guy used about holding on to our anger or our grudges, like picking up a hot coal and throwing it at somebody else, not realizing that we're the ones that are getting burned. So when we're, one aspect of of learning forgiveness is not just for, to reconcile and be magnanimous and and, uh, do it for the other person, but for ourselves. That's where the healing is as much as for them. This is from, where is it? Desmond Tutu, one of my heroes. To forgive is the highest form of self-interest. I need to forgive you so that my anger and resentment and lust for revenge does not corrode my being. Isn't that interesting? Partly, we're doing it for our own healing. 
when I think of sometimes I've gotten, gotten into really getting ticked off at somebody and, and then I see all the mind moments. I can get on a roll for a couple of days, you know, and, and then I, do, I, I need to do something about it. And generally these days I, um, I need to come to some understanding with that person and open up my heart to them. The, one of my main Dharma inspirations, Neem Karoli Baba from Be Here Now, Ramdas's guru, who's also somebody very important to me. One of his main teachings is never put anyone out of your heart, no matter what they do. Okay. That's a tall order sometimes, but the price you pay to close your heart is huge. And I want to say that this, is, this doesn't mean to pretend that people have not really treated us in hurtful and cruel ways and that we should just forgive and forget. We have to go through the anger and the hurt and the outrage and all the pain, but to know that there can be a movement towards even understanding that confusion I came across a, a, a poster. It was in um, Cal, UC Berkeley uh, Hall, uh, as I was walking through one day, and it really has stayed with me of this sad-faced child, um, and the the words that a child raised in a, uh, a household with domestic violence is 700 times likelier to experience that in their adulthood, one way or another, either as the perpetrator or the victim. When, you, when I saw that, it was, it was so powerful. It was like, who's to blame in there as the conditioning just gets passed on and passed on. It's all about causes and conditions. So when we're forgiving, we're not saying, oh, everything is fine, but it's like you're, you're understanding the deep conditioning and the deep confusion that would go into such hurtful acts. And you can break the cycle through shifting that perspective of more more anger and hurt and wanting to hurt back. This is um, from some Mahayana scripture, the Chatu Shataha Shastra. Buddhas see delusion, Buddhas see delusion as the enemy, not the childish who possess it. The real villain is ignorance, not the being who's so confused. Mm-hmm. And there are other benefits of learning to forgive. Evidence indicates, studies have indicated, that forgiveness increases self-esteem and decreases anxiety. In one trial, men in a drug and alcohol treatment program who trained in forgiveness showed significantly less depression. And there are implications for physical health. While holding a grudge fuels anger and resentment, producing damaging stress hormones, 
Cardiac patients, by the way, who blame others for their initial heart attack are more likely to have reinfarctions. While these produce damaging stress hormones, positive emotions like forgiveness lead to lowered heart rate and reduced blood pressure. So, how to do this? We need to acknowledge the pain or the shame or the sense of failure if we've been on the receiving end. And we need to heal our shattered sense of self-worth. We need to grieve our loss of faith or trust, perhaps, that can happen. And it takes courage to open up to old wounds. But then understanding the other's reality, understanding their conditioning, then you can aspire to be like Jesus on the cross. Forgive them. They know not what they do. What a profound line that is. On one retreat, I, um, uh, I played my whole family history, which I had played many, many times before, and I thought I'd kind of understood and worked it all out. But this is just in the last, uh, it was about five years or so ago. And I just was, re- was seeing not only why so-and-so did this and so-and-so disappointed me and I, I reacted back and all of that, but the generations of conditioning that went into the upbringing that I had, which you know was not horrific, but there were some challenging things in it. And the, the line that came to me, it's the title of a Trungpa Rinpoche book, um, and the name, the title of the book said it all. The name is, the, the book title is Dharmas Without Blame. And it just was so clear, all, there's no blame to be had in any, any of this. It's all just causes and conditions, causes and conditions, causes and conditions. And we think we're doing it, but we are on one level, just acting out our conditioning. Now you can shift that conditioning with awareness and with loving kindness. That's the beauty of it. But to get caught in holding on to that grudge and that anger, um, if it's a lifetime spent that way, it's, there's a price to pay. Longfellow has this, this line, if we could read the secret history of our enemy, we should find enough sorrow and suffering to disarm all hostility. And instead of either beating ourselves up when we've done something wrong or laying it on that other person as being rotten, no good to the core, there's a couple of other things to keep in mind about forgiveness. If that person, if that's the way they are in their life with everybody, just imagine how painful you just have to deal with them when you're with them. But if they're carrying around that head all the time, then that's how they're relating to the rest of life. That elicits a lot of compassion when I think about it. But also, if they have done something with you that's been unskillful, but basically they're not a rotten-to-the-core kind of person, forgiveness also 
acknowledges the truth of impermanence. That that's not who they are all the time. Just imagine in the middle of your most unskillful moment, say losing it with your kid or your friend or whatever, and you really, you know, flying off the deep end. And there you are going, yeah, but you, and somebody takes a picture, click, ah, and they look at that, ooh, that's a pretty unpleasant person, right? And then suppose they put it in their pocket, you know, and a month later they take it out, ooh, yep, pretty unpleasant person, you know. Ten years later, yep, still rotten, you know. That's what we do when we are stuck in one particular occurrence. And every time you take out that picture, yeah, that rotten. They might be on a beach in Kauai having a wonderful time, and there you are, just picked up the hot coal. Who's suffering? But to see that people can grow and change, thank goodness, then that's one basic understanding of forgiveness. Here's uh, something else, a whole other way to approach it. This is from Jack's book, uh, The Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness, and Peace. In the Babemba tribe of South Africa, when a person acts irresponsibly or unjustly, he is placed in the center of the village, alone and unfettered. All work ceases, and every man, woman, and child in the village gathers in a large circle around the accused individual. Then each person in the tribe speaks to the accused one at a time, each recalling the good things the person in the center of the circle has done in his lifetime. Every incident, every experience that can be recalled with any detail and accuracy is recounted. All his positive attributes, good deeds, strengths, and kindnesses are recited carefully and at length. This tribal ceremony often lasts for several days. At the end, the tribal circle is broken, a joyous celebration takes place, and the person is symbolically and literally welcomed back into the tribe. Pretty far out, huh? That just kind of gives you the, the, the pointers to what forgiveness is about. It's like we forget our goodness, and other people forget their goodness, and they sometimes have to be reminded of it, and are just holding them in one fixed position, not seeing their own pain or confusion or seeing the limited view is, um, is not a way to open up our meta flow and heal. Mm-hmm. Now I, yeah. And again, I say to not bypass your own pain or forgive when you're not ready to but just know that that's a possibility. Ultimately, what we are forgiving is life. What I think of as forgiving the Dharma. You know, Why did this happen to me? Oh, wait, before we go on, I want to go back to forgiving others, please. So just 
go inside and for a moment think of somebody perhaps who there's some unfinished business and maybe you might be open to a healing in your heart. And just imagine them understanding their own confusion. And imagine them and their negative feelings or guilt or Imagine them waking up to how their words or actions have caused you suffering. And from their most authentic or vulnerable place, just imagine them asking forgiveness from you. Or if that's not possible, just imagine seeing their confusion or their fear and understanding, even if they don't, Just see if you can get a glimpse of what it would be like to open up your heart. Okay, you can. Open your eyes if you'd like. So I just want to close with this last piece of forgiving life, forgiving the Dharma. You know, why did this happen to me? This isn't fair. If I were running the universe, I'd do a much better job than this. You ever have that feeling? Well, things are the way they are. And so how we relate to it is really the key. Our suffering or our happiness is not about what goes on out there. It's about how we relate to it. And so one key in forgiving life or forgiving the Dharma is removing the I in the equation, removing the me. Why did this happen to me? And just seeing we all have our share of the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows, that's part of the curriculum that we're here to understand and learn. And it's said that in the human realm is the ideal realm to wake up because if we didn't have both of those, if we were in the heaven realm, then we'd be too lazy to want to awaken. And if we're in the hell realm and having only sorrows and only living in our hell, there's no way that we can see other possibilities. But the human realm has its mix. And so we're given both of these where you deepen your compassion through the sorrow and you open up to the, the goodness and the beauty in life through the joys. You don't have to put the me in it. It's just, oh, this is part of this journey. This is part of life's journey. This is part of what I'm here to learn from instead of feeling a victim. So I just ask you, what, um, what am I not ready to forgive that's happened to me?
What gets in the way? What would I need to understand? And what effect would come from letting go of whatever bitterness or disappointment or hurt? Could I actually forgive life and just see, oh, it's like this? All the lessons that we've learned from the difficult stuff are here with us, can keep growing. So I'll close with a, a poem that I love called Awakening Now by Dana Falls. Why wait for your awakening? The moment your eyes are open, seize the day. Would you, be, would you hold back when the beloved beckons? Would you deliver your litany of sins like a child's collection of seashells, prized and labeled? No, I can't step across the threshold, you say, eyes downcast. I'm not worthy. I'm afraid. My motives aren't pure. I'm not perfect, and surely I haven't practiced nearly enough. My meditation isn't deep, and my prayers are sometimes insincere. I still chew my fingernails, and the refrigerator isn't clean. Do you value your reasons for staying small more than the light shining through the open door? Forgive yourself. Now is the only time you have to be whole. Now is the sole moment that exists to live in the light of your true self. Perfection is not a prerequisite for anything but pain. Please, oh please, don't continue to believe in your disbelief. This is the day of your awakening. Let's sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention. This talk was given by James Barris at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on July 16, 2007. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed.